listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Yeah, uh, Christopher Wenty is how I credit my like how I asked to be credited, but anyone can call me Chris. And <laughs> sorry, what was the second part? I got hung up on my name. <laughs> uh, concentration or concentrations, like so, writer, director. Yeah, I, I'm actor, actor, and uh, but that being said, I live in Nashville, and so it means I travel a lot. I put. 40,000 miles on my car in like a year and a half because in the southeast of the United States, you, I go down to Atlanta a lot just because, you know, it's, um, I'm, what, what do you call it? Like a fairly starving artist, you know, I'm not wasting away, but, you know, I, I eat rice and beans and whatever. So um, to that end, my other concentration is I try to write stuff and hopefully eventually get it produced so that I can showcase my talents and just sort of make my own make my own luck as one villain from the Batman comics once said. So, um, I try to, I try to just stay busy, but yeah, primarily as an actor with occasional, uh, sort of, uh, detours. I don't even want to say they're detours cause I, I do feel like they're all building toward one big creative thing. Um, I write and direct as well. Perfect. And then what might we know you from or what do you have upcoming? Yeah. Um, so if you're in Nashville, you would have seen me in theater for a number of years uh, with Blackbird Theater, um, some theater out in Smyrna, but I haven't done theater in a few years. So if you're not in Nashville, then you may have seen me on AMC's turn as a <laughs> killer uh, episode. So the last season, season four, episode three, I was at the beginning, had a few lines there and that. That's That's probably the... The most light you've also seen me in a handful of commercials uh, around Nash again around Nashville car dealerships the lottery the Tennessee lottery I actually just did a commercial for the South Carolina lottery um, and then upcoming I've got just wrapped production on a short film that I wrote and directed starring Alan Powell uh, we wrapped just a few days ago so hopefully we'll get get it through post and out to some festivals around the country, uh, you know, by those festivals that have a fall, a fall submission deadline to then, you know, so probably next spring is when you could see that. But then hopefully maybe around the same time, if not sooner, um, I was the lead in, in other versions of you, which is a feature film directed by Maki Dapp. I think, you know, you said you had, you've had him on, on this already. So, um, yeah, I, that's in post right now and hopefully we'll be, we'll have a picture lock here in the next few days and then off to sound and scoring. So that's exciting, man. Fantastic. All right. So I'll start you off with the same question. I start everyone out off with, uh, cause you mentioned being, um, not wasting away, but you know, doing the starving artist thing, which, yeah. which I actually find to be a, a badge of honor, uh, sure. ha- having done that myself for many years. Um, what is the biggest challenge you've overcome as an actor 
or filmmaker and how did you overcome it? So you could take it whatever concentration you want, but, but uh, I'm going acting since uh, that's the primary that you listed. Yeah. Stated. Yeah. Um, I would say as an actor and this, it, this definitely does have relevance to the other creative disciplines, whether in film or, you know, any starving artist, but as an actor way, obviously, there's a transition that you make. I remember when I first got in, I actually had a couple things working against me to overcome this obstacle. And it's sort of non-intuitive. But when I first got a, a, a film, you know, a camera agent here in town, I booked the first three things that I auditioned for. One was a national SAG commercial for at and uh, And that, that was my very first audition through this agent. I booked it. Right. And so that gave me this false sense of, it's not even security, but just like, oh, shoot, I'm booking. Okay, great. Three for three. And, and the truth is, is that, uh, I still, I probably book, a, you know, maybe, maybe 10% of the things that I read for, especially if it, a lot of that depends on what the quality or how good of a fit what I'm reading for is for me. So I'm still batting way below you know, three for three. And, and that can be a hard transition. And the main obstacle to overcome is just making sure you never get attached to anything. Uh, even, even if I were to get booked on something, you know, things happen. You, the project can go under, I've been booked on projects before that then just never get produced. And mm. if you, if you do start either counting your chickens financially or artistically or or even just like from a spiritual standpoint, you go, wow, I got a thing. You, you're going to get, it's, there's too many ups and downs. And I've gone, I've gone three, four months without booking anything. And that stuff gets, you can get, I mean, that's really discouraging and nerve wracking. So I feel though, like I've, I've seen enough disappointment and I've lived through enough famines and I'm still kicking that, you know, famines don't scare me as much anymore. And that obstacle that obstacle is a, is a doozy to get over. So, um, you know, it's feast or famine. And when you're in the feast, it can be seductive to think, Oh, here it goes. But sure enough, after every feast and every time I want, I almost let my brain go, yes, I'm arriving. You know, <laughs> ah, there's a black hole in you. And then I wake up one morning going, no one loves me, knows who I am, respects me or wants me to be part of their art. And I just lay in my bed and I cry and, and both are part of both are part of the beauty of of what it means i think to be a struggling actor gotcha no that's fantastic and, and so playing right into that response um you sort of taught yourself disciplined yourself sort of against those those false flag sort of things uh <laughs> um so looking at currently you know what is the biggest challenge you're facing right now Oh, well, great. And I hope some people uh, hear this. I actually just yesterday morning was um, brainstorm, uh, you know, brainstorming some ideas for the short that I'm going to direct coming up. And uh, along those same lines, I just went, wow, I went through my financial books. You know, I just I looked at my books for the year, looked at my earnings, I looked at my expenses. And um, the biggest challenge right now, Chris, is just I got to keep the lights on. You know, I got to I got to pay my bills. And although there are times where acting does pay the bills, 
there's times where it doesn't. And so I can, I can't ever, I can't ever rely on the bills to be paid yet. I like, I have, I haven't booked the thing that's going to set me up for a while. The biggest challenge is just like, I have a daughter and I love, and I want to be financially responsible and, and take care of myself and those I love. And so the biggest challenge is just finding out a way to make money and hopefully in the process of making that money, not lose, lose my creative soul. So I'm putting it out there I, and I've done it like down to, I need to make $8,800 between now and the end of November to keep the lights on for the end of the year. And I want to do that, doing something creative, whether that's holding something on a set or writing something or acting in something or directing something. But I just, that's the biggest challenge is just, you know, got to make that money, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. There, there is, um, God, I'll have to get back with you on this, Chris, about the author's name. It's slipping me right now, but he was, he's very successful. And, but he talked about that part of uh, his ability to just sit down and write freely and to, to write the book that he wrote that, that was sort of changed the game for him all relied on the fact that um, he was not relying on it to pay the bills. Yeah. That, that he could be completely free to do it because. Well, Liz Gilbert, yeah. Liz Gilbert, um, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Mm-hmm. And she has said that. And I think Stephen Pressfield, who wrote The War of Art, he also talks about that. He wrote Legend of Bad Vance and then eventually. Right. Um, yeah, I mean that that so I'm at sort of at I'm trying to figure out because what that's sort of a that's a comeback or a retort to my situation is I, I want I do understand that I don't want to make my art pay for my bills yet because I just I'm not there yet like but at the same time I also want to make money in a thing that doesn't suck my creative life out of me. Mhm. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's where it's slightly different. I agree because the things that they were doing, these uh, at least the author I was referring to did was also like a core passion of his and like something he was very good at. So yeah. it wasn't like he was paying the bills, you know, working at the TJ Maxx. <laughs> so you know, I, which would which would definitely suck his soul over time. I, I, I mean, I'd be open to even stuff like that. Uh, as an actor, it's hard to take anything that requires a shift. And that's, I know that's an obstacle that a lot of actors face is if you, if you take a job to pay the bills that schedules you for shifts, the nature of this business is in less than 24 hours, I might need to lose that job because I can't find someone to cover my shift. And I sure as hell am not going to show up at TJ Maxx to earn my $8 an hour if you know, I've got a, a day player role in Atlanta, you know, right, exactly. that day player role won't make my career, of course. So that's what's so hard is I go to do that day player role in Atlanta. It might not skyrocket me to stardom, but it will force me to basically lose my job. So I have to go find another job. So that's the huge obstacle. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love sort of a mindless thing that I can be creative in, but, uh, what what typically gets offered to me are things that will suck my soul or like uh, insurance sales, like right. hey, sell insurance. I'm like, man. And if you knew my background in religion and proselytizing and selling people on ideas, I'm just so if I'm going to sell someone, I want to sell someone on like something creative inside me, like a project. So, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've done that, and um, I'll tell you, it's it's a tough racket, and and the contracts in that business are just so so shady for the agent, so unreliable. Ah. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. Right. <laughs> uh, so so going back to this, I, oh no, go ahead. Lo, how do I how do how how do you while you're starving still stay in your creative flow and let like you said like the badge of honor concept, like how do you see your situation as being sort of desperate and not have that interrupt that sort of purity and appreciation and gratitude so that you can continue to produce the work that you love to do and not let your desperate situation be detracting from it, but actually, you know, use that to fuel your, your art, you know? So that's, that's a, that's a challenge. Yeah, it's a big deal. When, when I did it, we'd be in these conference room meetings. I had a, my own office on West End or whatever. Yeah, it was West End and um, across from Ten Angel. And I'd be in the big boardroom me- uh, meetings with the whole team and they'd be talking about business and I'd be writing lyrics. Yeah. I'd yeah. be totally in an, I'd be on another planet while they were in there talking about, you know, how they're going to get more leads, right. <laughs> which is was kind of the the sign I already knew, which was, I don't belong here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, we kind of touched on this, um, a little bit without meaning to in the answers to the previous questions, but to be more specific, what are the two best pieces of advice you have received so far in your career and who did they come from? Wow. It's hard too, because in some ways I feel like I've been doing this for a while. It's been almost six years, but that's in the big scheme of things is short. You know, Mm -hmm. I think one piece of advice is just like, you know, this is a game of attrition. Uh, This is a war of attrition. I should say war, meaning people are going to start giving up and, and the two, the, the spoils go to the people who stick around. So, you know, it's only a matter of time before, you know, the right pitch comes through and I have the right swing, but you just got to keep swinging. So I just swing for the fences as often as I can. And I don't care. I don't care if I strike, you know, if I s- strike out, I don't care if I knock it right into, you know, a pop fly into the, into center field. I don't care. I'm just going to keep swinging. And because all you all you need is all you need is a home run and then that can completely change you know it won't change who you are obviously you'll still be you but it can change you know the starving artist you know situation to well no i've got i've got some you know some some groundwork so i would just kind of remember who i don't know if I, I feel like a bunch of people give that Give that, uh, but that's for an entrepreneur. That that goes for anyone who's just trying to make their, like I said, make their own luck. You just swing, keep all you need is keep swinging and maximize the number of swings that you take. Um, you know, you can. There's a lot to be said for fixing your 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 batting stance and you know be you know whatever. But the truth is, is that if you just keep swinging for the fences, you're gonna get it. So yeah. And who who gave you that advice? Oh, I want to say it was my mom because I feel like, but I, I feel like it was my mom and probably a handful of other people. Um, and then the other, the other big piece of advice came from Liz Gilbert, who's who wrote Big Magic. That book, whew, that book, 
I would say that. Oh, and so Liz Gilbert and then um, Julia Cameron, who wrote a book called The Artist's Way, which is very popular, I think, among writers especially, but also actors as well. Right. And this whole concept is you don't need to ask ask anyone's permission to do what comes creative to, or you know natural to you in a creative way. Like you, you being creative is your is your highest calling. Like that's what we as humans are meant to do. That's what separates us from, you know, other life forms. That's what we are creative. And so the, just by sheer uh, fact that you are exist, you are entitled to be as creative as you want to be. Mm. And so you don't have to ask anyone's permission. You don't have to, you don't have to meet any certain person's threshold and you never, ever have to be judged on the merits of what you create. Um, so I just always try to rem- remember that I, I am entitled because I exist. I am entitled to express myself creatively. And that sometimes helps me overcome the inevitable anti-inertia, if you will, of ever creating either a character as an actor or writing and producing something you know, or painting, like sometimes I'll, I'll just have to remind myself, you just go paint. I'm not a painter, but just the sheer act of like, I just want to go create something to prove to myself still like, wait, yes, I just get to be creative because, because I exist. So that's, that's absolutely right. And, uh, uh, I'll make sure that we, um, link out to those book recommendations as well. Those are, those are two great ones. Um, so if you could provide, let's say, new actors with, with one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, of the, those two books, for sure. Artist's Way, Big Magic. Um, I would also... New actors, piece of advice. Um, do you? Mm. Like, there is no one else that that's it's one of those things that is sort of a creative paradox is that when you step into an audition room, like in the waiting room in an audition, an audition, the optics, like what you see around you screams everything that is opposite to what will eventually be creatively fulfilling for you. Right. You're in a room with a bunch of, for me, it's a bunch of tallish white guys, sometimes with a beard, sometimes with like, it's like, <laughs> like, wait, I'm, a piece of like, let's see if I measure up to what they want. And, 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 you know, we're all kind of the same in the room right here, but the, the truth couldn't be further from it. The truth is, is there's no one else on the planet like you. There's no one else that can do what you do. And the more, um, sort of discipline study and craft you put into being able to take what's on the inside of you and honestly and consistently take that and put it on the outside in your performances, like letting people see who you really are. That, that for me is the most satisfying. It doesn't always mean that I book it because remember I, I make the transition. I don't actually care if I get any one role. Like I do on one level, but the truth is, is that I'm just going to do me. And if in the course of doing me, you think that that needs to be in your project, well then great. And if not, so be it. But I, I get, I get no satisfaction about, um, you know, 
think making that thought, oh man, if only I had changed X, Y, and Z, or only if only I could change X, Y, and Z about me, then I would. And that's such a fruitless and empty pursuit. Um, so new actors, just just do you. And that's that's what that's a lifetime of work. Like that's not that's a simple yet the most ultimately frustrating pursuit. And that's why it's always out there. That's why it's a fickle mistress, if you will, mm. is that being able to uncover the true you and let people see it in your projects. That's no one's ever going to finish doing that. So um, you can get in that water and it feels really good to be doing it. But that is a lifetime of work right there. And it's really the only work that you have is how do I, you know, you know, how do I let the camera and let the director and let the casting director and in my self tapes, when I'm putting myself on tape and when I walk in the room, how do I just let the thing that is inside me just ooze out and, you know, let people dine on it. And if it's the meal they want to eat, cool. If not, all right, move on, go get your Chinese food or whatever. That's sorry. That's not a racist joke. <laughs> whatever. You know, whatever cuisine you want. So. Right. Exactly. No, I'm with you. Um, which creatives do you most admire and most want to emulate? And what do they do from a technical or skill standpoint that makes their work stand apart? Yeah, I like, um, as far as actors go, I, uh, there's a whole bevy of, uh, I would say, late 30s, early 40s male actors that I respect a lot. Tom Hardy, obviously one of them. He, he just seems... He's an example of a guy that just decided to be himself. And, uh, you know, he, he can get into different act. He's a very versatile actor, but you can tell that it's always grounded from a place that, you know, coming from him. So uh, definitely Tom Hardy. Um, man, every time someone asks me about this, I, I lose the names. But, um, you know, uh, I, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is a great actor. I think... Um, who else? Um, oh, um, Paul Dano. Mm. He, his turn, you know, there will be blood. And then he was just in, um, Swiss army man, which was a great movie. Um, uh, you know, uh, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. I just, I've been on a PT Anderson kick recently. So PT Anderson's a director that I really like. Of course, I love Edgar Wright from a, from that comedy editing uh, standpoint, and I'm going to go see Baby Driver really soon. Yeah. Uh, so directors, Edgar Wright, P.T. Anderson. Um, I mean, Steven Spielberg, for as sort of ubiquitous and buried deep in every American psyche as his films are, the man is a master of s visual storytelling, both on small and large scales. He just knows how to do it, and his voice his voice is the American film, which is so strange. You know, it's like sometimes we think Steven Spielberg films are great. You know, they win awards, but we don't realize how much style he brings to every project. And it's, I think it's because the style is so effortless and it seems to, uh, it seems to be married to what the American expectation of a film is. So when you see a Steven Spielberg film, you don't think, oh, wow, this is a Spielberg film. You just go, wow, this is a great movie. <laughs> right, right. No, that's exactly uh, it. You know, Guy Ritchie stuff for kind of the same reason as Edgar Wright, real punchy, stylized. Um, 
I mean, I love, I've been loving the stuff that, uh, 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 in your, in that there's a, um, a bevy of Mexican filmmakers who love those one takes like Alfonso Cuaron. And then, you know, the people who did Birdman and the Revenant, I love where they're taking the medium as far as, you know, these, these, um, elaborately blocked and staged. It's almost like theater is starting to unfold on a camera. Cause you know, that's what you have to do with theater is you can't, you can't cut in theater except with the curtain. So, but so much action taking place and what I love, all of that takes tremendous coordination with act, great actors and great um, technicians. So, yeah. That's, I don't think anyone's even come close to, to that list. I'll have to go back to the, to the archives and see um, for a while there, people were sort of, running away with with gosling just to give you some inside baseball and not oh. that not that he's bad but it but it was it's kind of refreshing like i love gosling but, but it was refreshing to hear you not say that you know i like ryan gosling as much as the next guy i just uh yeah he's good yeah paul dano uh very underrated well and because like for me as an actor like uh i'm 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 sort of this i'm on this fence you know, for male actors, we have a different sort of standard of physical attractiveness. And I'm in this weird middle ground of like, I'm not probably as like sexually attractive on a wide scale as say Ryan Gosling, or, you know, some of these other leading men, but I'm also not so strange looking as to be immediately a character actor. So for me, and this is sort of the process why I think that advice to just do you is important. Like, I don't know how people are going to see me and I can't control how they're going to see me. All I can do is do exactly how I feel I am. And then wherever that fits in your projects, that's cool. So like, um, Paul Dano and Joaquin Phoenix, they're both attractive, but in a very strange way. And so I, I feel like I, I draw inspiration when I see strange looking people who do strange things, but in a very compelling, attractive way. Like I, I don't want to lose that edge. Even if I start to be cast as sort of the every man, I don't want to be just an every, like I want, I want to be me, you know? So, sorry, that was a tangent. And Ryan, Ryan, no, no, no. yeah, Ryan Gosling is every man but he's really good at doing really, you know, interesting stuff too. So anyway, that's it. No, it's great. And, and it's, it's a, it's a very valid point as well. Um, to do what he's done with the way he looks, it's almost like comedians always say you can't be funny and handsome. That's, that's <laughs> fucking cheating. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, um, Let's, you know what? I'll skip that one this time uh, and go right to what are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making? So it's kind of a two-parter. Yeah, this is a hard question to answer because from a philosophical standpoint, I don't believe in mistakes. Like I, especially in the creative realm, because I think when we say mistakes, I think we we mean a choice that you can make that is going to kill you and, um, or, or kill your creative, you know, kill your, your, your career or whatever. And I just don't think that's possible because you sure you can make mistakes that 
send you in a direction that maybe you weren't expecting, but that's all of life, you know? So mm. in that, every choice is a mistake. So, uh, cause you can never, you never, ever, ever know where things are going to go. Like for instance, you, you, speaking of Maki, you know, I, he asked me to do a 48 with him. I had, I didn't even know what a 48 hour film festival was. I didn't know what I was signing up for. I just knew I had had a fun time with him making a commercial a couple weeks earlier. And so he asked me to come in and at that point, I had been booking, you know, quite a bit of stuff that was paying me and Maki asked me to come work for free. And so to tell you the truth, I said yes, because it seemed like fun and I was bored. But I was <laughs> wondering if it was a mistake. Like, is it a mistake at this point in my career to work for free? Because I had been, you know, making some fairly good money that, at that point or more money than I was expecting. And so I thought that was a mistake. Well, as you know, like that was the furthest thing from a mistake. You know, I showed up, had a great day. The film ended up doing really well and opened up a lot of doors. And, and you know, now we're making a feature film for which I was paid. You know, so it's like it's really hard for me from a philosophical standpoint to give any advice on what a mistake is. I think the only mistake is is if you, if you want to do something and you don't do it because you're afraid it's a mistake. But even then, it's really hard for me because if you don't do it, it's okay. The universe will come back. Your life will come back to you and say, what about now? What about now? There's a constant invitation to live more creatively that's sitting in front of everyone. And even refusing the call from the hero's journey of storytelling standpoint, refusing the call, as you know, the call will keep coming to you. It may come to you again when you're 60 and maybe you don't have the health to make the, the movies that you want to make anymore, but you can do something creative. So if there is one mistake, it's just refusing the call to create. That I think is the only you know, mistake that I could get behind. Um, but realize that, you know, it, it may come again. You may have the invitation to create again. And so the, the, and that, and that mindset really helps me because like, for instance, this film that we just made, I don't know if it's going to be good, but I don't care because I knew I couldn't not make it. I had to make it. And, and if it sucks and, and I don't want anyone to watch it, fine. I learned a thousand things from doing it and, and grew as a person because the thing that happened in the process of making it and what I hope will translate to the screen, that stuff used to be on the inside of me and now it's out and that's called expression, right? So I like, um, what do you do with an olive? You express it. I just want to, I want to express that's what expressing you expresses it. You know, you've got stuff inside you and I just want to express it out and get it somewhere. And, um, I, at that point, I don't care. Uh, I would like a lot of people to appreciate it. I would like a lot of people to watch it. And so I come from a, uh, there's, I balance that with like, okay, so what can I learn in my craft side from a technical standpoint so that it is, you know, let's just say more marketable or more, like more people get it or something. But I, tr you know, I try to come still from a place of just like, nothing is a mistake, just do it. And then, you know, then live the next day. So. Right. That's, you know, that's really, I love this idea of the only mistake you can make is not being willing to make a mistake. <laughs> uh, so, or, or, or being afraid that what you're going to do is a mistake. Let me get out of the clouds just for a second, because I know that was really philosophical. So for, but so there are a couple key points. One, 
be honest with the people that you're working with. Like, um, you know, you're going to come across people that will come into your life creatively and then go, but just, you know, it does no good to anyone if there's a pretense in the relationship, you just, just got to be really honest about what you're trying to do because you're really trying to honestly express yourself. That's why you're being creative. So carry that honesty into your business associations as you're trying to, as you're trying to make stuff. So, um, because, oh, and, and just realize, especially when you're first starting out, there's, there's always going to be a good community of people that want to create. And if you want to make work that rises above just for the kicks and giggles and want, once you want to do work that maybe starts to get some sort of traction, that's a hard transition to make. And there may be people that you have to leave behind um, who aren't willing to make the jump into excellence from just hobby. Right. Uh, and that's no offense to the people that want to do it for a hobby. Uh, but just realize there's a lot of people also who are doing it for a hobby that talk as if they're doing it like at the highest level, because it's really hard and it's even hard to get to the highest level. Like I've, I've certainly have done that. I've been like, we're going to make this film and it's going to go to Sundance and blah, blah. And it was just, it was a sucky film. So it's like, you know, um, learn to hear and peep, you know, I would say learn to ignore what people say because what they say ultimately doesn't matter. Um, it's what they do, you know, like look at their work. So if you're, if you're wanting to collaborate with someone just because you're friends with them, like watch their work first, like work speaks for work speaks for itself. And so, um, yeah, the Teddy Roosevelt speaks softly and hopefully your work is a big stick that you can carry around. So, yeah, I love that. And I've found that if you're really transparent about who you are, what your intentions are, uh, whether they like it or don't like it, it makes it much harder for them to be less transparent and dishonest with you. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's crazy, but that honesty begets honesty. So, or, or, and if they don't, they'll probably go away themselves. Like they'll just sort of you know, they'll, they'll either be honest, they'll either show up or they'll just sort of disappear, fade away, you know? Exactly. All right. So you've been so generous with your time. I only have a couple more questions. Are we, are we still good? Go for it. All right. So, um, this one is so much fun. If you had one month to teach someone how to act, what are the first three things you would teach? Mm. Oh, Wow. I would teach from a um, technique or from a, not a technique, from a just sort of the spiritual side, I would teach them improv. Mm. I would teach rules, the basic rules of improv, which anyone can learn in, you know, an hour. Um, and then I would, I would spend quite a bit of time helping them learn yes and, which is um, the philosophy of generosity and flexibility, which requires an actor to listen, which if an actor can listen, honestly listen to the person that they're acting with, they have a leg up on basically everyone else in the business because the thing that keeps us from listening is the thing that keeps us from listening in real life. And that is we're so insecure about what might happen next and we're so protective about how we might look in the next moment that we start preparing in this moment for what needs to happen. 
and you can know there's no way that you can listen to your scene partner and really get into what's happening if you're busy thinking about your next line. So yes, and in the improv setting gives you a really good opportunity because there are no lines to think about next. You literally just have to listen and then say yes, agree. You have to agree in your spirit and then build from what they said. So I would spend I would spend a good amount of time helping people understand the basics of, 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 of improv with yes and being a huge part of that um, because that puts you in a good mindset. And then from a technique standpoint, I would have them uh, read Meisner, his book on acting. It's just a series of sort of lectures that people notated over the years. Because what's, he, what's the name of the book? On Acting. On Acting. There we go. Thank Sam, you. Sam Meisner? That, that, Sam, what's his? It's, no, it's not Sam. Or maybe it is Sammy. I can't remember. Meisner. Um, and his techniques are, good, I think, are very good. I, I've never taken a Meisner class, but I've, I've read his work and I've tried to, and I thought that was really helpful. And then from another technical standpoint, just have people talk about goal and obstacle. Like, from a, if you are going in to act a scene, you need to know clearly what you want out of it and what is in the way. Um, if you are just you know, trying to say the lines right or trying to be emotional. Ugh, that's disgusting. It's <laughs> Meisner and Meisner is very much improv oriented because he's, you know, it's all about being present for this moment right now and not moving on, like training yourself to not move on from the moment you're in until you're honestly fully there. Um, <laughs> so do you see how this correlates to like, uncovering who you really are so that you can just do that. And that's, yeah, that's hard. Um, oh. Yeah. For a month. Yeah. And they'd be ready to go. That's, that's great. So uh, last question. And then I guess there's like a micro question after this question. So the, the question is in your opinion, what are the top three online resources for helping actors uh, I would say YouTube mm-hmm. That's <laughs> just fun. from every movie ever of an actor that you love. Um, I also have taken a couple master classes. I took Dustin Hoffman's master class and I'm in the middle of Kevin Spacey's master class. Those are both good, but this is what I would caution people against is sometimes I think the study of acting can be an excuse to not act. And there's no way to become a better actor in, you know, just by listening, watching, or thinking about other actors. So, uh, but if you have to be online, I would say, you know, those masterclasses were helpful. YouTube. Yeah. Where do you find those masterclasses? If you just Google masterclass, you know, there's the ones that pop up on your Facebook newsfeed every now and then. Well, they do me because I bought some. Um, And they're like... Experts in the field of whatever art will, you know, for like 90 bucks, you get like 30 different lessons that they teach and you can interact with an online community in Kevin, in Kevin Spacey's masterclass, you can actually submit your work for critique. You can actually tape yourself doing whatever the exercise is for that lesson, submit yourself for critique of the community of other people who are taking it. So that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, uh, that's very cool. And that's just, ma- would it be like masterclass.com or? Yeah, masterclass.com. And then there's, you know, they've got right now I'm doing one because I'm directing. 
I'm doing one on um, film composing with Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer's doing a masterclass on film composing. And so I'm taking the thing so that as a, from a director standpoint, I get to have a better, you know, understanding of that process. Cause man, a, a, you know, a score can, can really make a, a film sing, really raise it up a level. So that's what I want. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've um, been on both sides of that coin. Um, and then what would be a third one? Oh, YouTube, Masterclass. Um, geez, I don't know. Um, uh, writing your own screenplays on a Google Doc. So there. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Google, google.com forward slash docs. Yeah. Docs. And then write your own screenplay on it <laughs> because it's cause you gotta go, you gotta, there's nothing to it, but to do it, you gotta do it. So uh, I love it. So the, the micro question is where can we find you on the interwebs and, uh, in social media? Yeah. I mean, if you Google my name, Chris Wente, K R I S and then Wente is W E N T E. That will take you. I've got a website where you can contact my agents. What's the URL? ChrisWenty.com. Perfect. Yeah, but if you just Google my name, you'll find my Facebook, which is, you know, still sort of public. You know, it's not. And then I'm also on Instagram, Chris.Wenty. That's perfect, man. Well, I can't tell you how much fun this was. This was was a good time, man. And uh, it's kind of like you compress... um, you know, a, a year's worth of information over coffees into like 40 minutes of understanding where a person's coming from. It's so much fun to do that. So I, I can't, I can't thank you enough. I, I really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, Chris. All right, Chris, I'll talk to you soon. Be good and uh, good luck. Not that you need it on, on everything that you're doing right now. I need everything. Okay. All right. <laughs> talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects, social media, and transcripts of this interview, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash podcast. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged. And thank you for listening.